All right. Hello and welcome everybody to the Cardboard Swords Cast. This is this is your host Ludwin, and I'm here with my co-host Vincent. How are you doing, Vincent? What up? What up? What up? I'm Vincent. Happy to be here. I don't know why I have a different persona all of a sudden, but I'm here. <laughs> uh, you're just having fun. That's all. <laughs> that's all right. the way to do it. You gotta have fun. Yeah, we gotta have lots of fun, especially when we have so many different board games to talk about. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, we're only talking about the past, present, and future of tabletop games that, that surely cannot cover thousands and thousands of games. Uh, there's there's going to be too many to name and probably some we don't even know of that people might bring up. Like, you forgot to say this one or this trend. But, yeah, today's topic is going to be more about trends in tabletop from the past, present, and what we think might be coming in the future or could possibly come. How exciting. There's so much to talk about with this one. We keep choosing these giant topics, but they're fun. So I'm, uh, I'm definitely on board. Uh, you know, looking through this, like going, okay, so going into this topic, Ludwin, I thought it was going to be pretty clear cut. I was like, okay, we're going to pick out like zombies was like a theme going on. There was like uh, deck building games going on, you know, all this different stuff. But I'm going to do a little bit of a spoiler here. But looking at this, I don't know that there is many trends, or or at least I don't notice it, if it's as rigid as I once thought it was. I thought it was going to be these like blocks of time where they were going to be to these certain mechanics and themes. But after looking more and more at it, there might be a little bit, there might be a space where there was more zombie games, for example. But we're still getting zombie games, and like I, I don't know, I feel like I feel like we're still getting everything. Like there's so many games because like looking at it. I saw that Board Game Geek, which has the largest amount of board game collection and information, they have a database of over 100,000 board games. And according to them, over 5,000 new board games and or expansions are released each year. Wait, how many? Repeat that. 100,000. 100. Okay, because I have an article listed up here, and they're saying over 4,000 new board games are released every year. Yeah, so, I mean, well, 4,000 and 5,000 are pretty close, and the thing that says 4,000 could be counting games and not expansions, because Board Game Geek says 5,000 new board games and or expansions each year. Okay, yeah, because I have my I have a chart here talking about the release of board games throughout the years, and it started spiking right after uh, in the 1990s. The amount of board games being released jumped up like crazy. And then from there, it stayed up rising up until 2020. And in 2021, we had 400 fewer board games released in the previous year. And it was the first year board games had taken a downward, had gone downward instead of upward. But they're, they're saying that's more due to COVID, due to what's been going on. Yeah, that's so interesting. I had no idea that it was on a constant rise up until 2021. But of course, I mean, it makes sense with the pandemic and everything that that would, you know, play a role in things. I know it did for me, certainly with the games I was releasing and working on. I definitely have factored that in and I was more apprehensive and, and leaning more towards PDF and digital releases, partially because of all the crazy like shipping stuff going on. Yeah, and I know that I could even go to my board game shop or card shop to play at all i mean i was stuck more at home with my friends and you know okay well yes we could play board games but we couldn't pick out anything new and stuff like that if i really wanted to grab something i had to order it off amazon and i'm not too trusting bl blind buying 
you know, board games. Yeah, and even Amazon, which had a really good track record from what I could tell on shipping, like they were slipping a lot. I've heard lots of horror stories about people ordering from Amazon these last few years and things not showing up and showing up broken, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've ordered miniatures off Amazon and I've had issues where some have come with missing limbs or uh, missing parts. But at least with Amazon, I've been able to return them and get a uh, replacement. Yeah, well, that's good. So was there any other, like, big things, kind of overarching themes that you notice, like, just in general when it comes to this topic? So what I've been noticing, personally, is I'm noticing more franchise-type games or games that are part of a well-known series. Like, we have a Civilization board game. We had a Doom board game come out. We had a Fallout board game. Resident Evil 2 got a board game. Portal, XCOM, Street Fighter has a deck-building game. And it's like, I did And then you're seeing more and more. Even I saw a Kickstarter for a Monster Hunter World uh, board game. And it's like, I did not expect all these franchises and series to be like, you know what? We're making board games. Yeah, and, you know, I think we might be getting more now than ever before, but I think it might be more in part that there's just more board games being released, you know, instead of it being like, oh, this is kind of what's hot, because, you know, I remember my dad had, like, a Fantastic Four board game that looked like it was from, like, the 70s or something, so, like, you know, we've seen, like, themes and, you know, IPs used before in board games. I know, like, Bloodborne had, like, a card game release, like, back in, like, maybe, maybe, like, I don't know, 10 years ago almost, maybe 8 years ago. So, I mean, there's definitely been, like, video game to board game adaptations for, like, the last decade. Um, and there's probably some earlier ones than that. So, I feel like it's kind, of, it's kind of like one of those things where it's been there. And it might be getting more popular or seemingly more popular. But it's also just in part because board games themselves are getting more popular. And there's more releases for board games than ever before. And I think it's that these IPs are more willing to share their license to board game manufacturers or board game creators that way they can get attention because the thing is uh a lot of people when they go buy a board game because the hard thing is looking at the cover and being like is this going to be a game i like but if you see something related to a franchise you like oh hey the teenage mutant ninja turtle i like those i'm gonna i want to try out this board game because it has the turtles i love them or something like that and I'm pretty sure it has happened to a bunch of people where either they, get, they enjoy the game or they don't. I think you bring up a good point, actually, that I wasn't really thinking about like going into this conversation. But it's the idea that I think companies with these IPs are way more willing to expand in different territories because they now see strength in that. So, you know, before they may have said, like, hey, we're a video game company, so we're going to make our video games, and that's what we're going to keep it as. But now, like... I think they're looking more at expanding in other types of media because they see the value in sort of approaching things from multiple angles and getting people involved into sort of like their IP as like more of a culture and more of a community, you know, where they can get into it from multiple angles, you know, where there's comics, there's manga, there's board games, there's maybe uh, music that they release. There's a lot of different media being tackled because the the different angles that you can get into it will make it feel like more lived in and like you can do more with it yeah and also it's the thing is you want to catch the attention of your fans like oh they like this franchise give them something else they might be able to grab at you make money off of that because 
I'm also there's also a bunch of TV series that I, I have a list right here of TV series or movies that have been incorporated into uh, board games. And one you might have at least seen is the Harry Potter deck building card game. Yeah, I was curious about that because I was at Gen Con when they uh, released that game, and the like play like to play the game. It was so full all the time. I never got to play it, but they had a really nice setup with like the candles and everything. It was really cool. Yeah, and the thing is, uh, a lot of these games now aren't just a hey, it's a Monopoly edition or a life edition of this game. It's now hey hey it's this own this franchise having its own game which is the big difference from back then from what i remember because back then hey look i got pokemon monopoly or have simpsons monopoly or you know you know the rest yeah it's interesting too because you know and and this is sort of an adjacent topic so we're not going to (laughs) like fully veer into this section but it reminds me of how like technically companies could go after cosplayers for cosplaying as their characters without that company's permission because that company owns the rights to that character and that character's image. And then that cosplayer is saying, like, hey, I'm a Nosuke from Demon Slayer, whatever it is. Um, but the companies realize how important it is to have, like, cosplayers, like, because it's basically just free advertising for them. It really helps. And not only is it free advertising, but it's advertising done in a way that doesn't feel like advertising. It's like, it's advertising done in a way to where it feels like like you can have fun and there's a community that you can really engage in. And I feel like in in some ways it kind of feels that way by turning video game IPs or other IPs such as anime into board games. It's like a way that not only in itself kind of advertises the original IP, like where it came from, but it also helps foster better communities and, and gets people involved in, in that sort of way. Yeah, it's like me and my friends with the Digimon card game. We grew up with the Digimon franchise. So now playing the card game, seeing cards of Digimon that never got trading cards or got much love or even lesser known Digimon, people get hyped over, oh, this is this is the lore to this, this is that. And you might get other people excited who didn't know about this stuff, and they might go searching for it and get excited. So I feel like these board games are doing the same thing where, hey, look, What's Harry Potter? Like, I'm pretty sure most people nowadays know what Harry Potter is, but you know, you might, you could play a game with a group of friends like the lore of the world or the lore of the game. You'd be like, I want to search more, I want to learn more about this, you know? Yeah, it's sort of like I've noticed with Yu Gi Oh! and maybe it's just targeted ads, so maybe this actually isn't the case, but it seems like Yu Gi Oh! has like a lot more merchandise now. It seems like there's like all kinds of like independent creators creating Yu Gi Oh! themed merchandise. You know, we had Master Duel drop earlier this year so people can play online. We had the physical card games still releasing stuff. It just seems like they're attacking a lot of different fronts. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that sort of thing. Like maybe we get like a new series that kind of hits a lot differently and and makes a big splash now. And and just, I don't know. I, I just feel like companies are definitely expanding in a lot of different areas. And the yeah, and you're not wrong about that. And I the other thing is, it's just that board games are becoming more and pop more and more popular because we have so much more media saying that hey, these aren't for geeks; these are for anybody who just wants to have fun. Because if you remember, a lot of tabletop stuff, anything that was tabletop was kind of oh yeah, that's nerd stuff. You know, the board gamers, the war gamers, card gamers, all that stuff, the D and D guys. 
you know, oh, yeah, they're all nerds. Nowadays, it's like, oh, they're having so much fun. I rem- I was watching Critical Role and they had this adventure or I was watching this other show and they had so much fun. Yeah, it's funny because I I witnessed firsthand the evolution of that. I feel like especially working at Pop Cult because I'd see people talk about this sort of thing all the time. And so, like, I definitely was around in high school where people would be bullied for liking anime or liking board games. But then I remember, like, when board games were, like, kind of becoming cooler. And then some people would say, oh, well, it's not as lame as, like, tabletop role-playing games. Or, like, oh, you play D&D. That's that's lame. But I'll play some board games. Or actually, no, so first it was, like, card games. Like, okay, like, if you play Yu-Gi-Oh!, that's cool. But if you play those, like, weird board games, that's weird. Uh, and then if you play board games, like, okay, well, the tabletop RPG stuff's weird. And if you play that, it's like, well, at least we're not LARPing. And then you have people, like, wanting to LARP, too. And so it's just like, hey, like, it's a, it's definitely a lot more opened up. And so, like, I, I don't know. Now I'm kind of curious what the dynamics are. Like, like, are people getting bullied in school if, they, if they're not into nerdy stuff? Probably not, you know, because I'm sure there's still jocks and preps and people that just aren't into it. But I don't know. It's definitely part of culture now. Uh, I agree. It's become part of culture, and it's gotten to the point where a lot of these board games or card games or even D&D and uh, wargaming have all cross-intersected in a way where one board game might be inspired by uh, wargaming, so they might take some elements into it and, hey, you know, make it part of the game, or hey, these card games like what D&D is doing, so they'll try and copy something of it to try and get their attention. You know, like what Wizards of the Coast did with their D&D set that they released recently, where it's like, oh, yeah, come look at this D&D stuff. I'm pretty sure somebody somebody liked it enough where like, you know what, I'm going to buy these cards just because it has D&D. Yeah, there's, there's definitely people, like it can definitely help to overlap things, and you'll... It, you won't get a one-to-one ratio on it, but you'll definitely get some overlap. No, yeah. And then you'll get some people who jump in, not like it. At least they tried it out. you get some people jump in, try it. Hey, I'm hooked. Give me some more of that crack. <laughs> that, like that cardboard crack. <laughs> yeah, cardboard crack is is what it's referred to. Um, I'm very, very familiar with that. I mean, I'm, I mean, people might think I'm crazy, but I smell car- I smell cardboard all the time. It smells great. Hey, hey, I'm pretty sure no shame a lot of us have, especially (laughs) when opening new booster packs or open up a brand new board game, you know. But something I was reading earlier was that uh, back then when you got into tabletop gaming, you got in with a starter game like, oh, yeah, Catan or um, Pandemic and smaller games like that. But apparently there's a rise of people getting into the uh, market due to niche specific targeted games like for example the ip games we named earlier oh i like power rangers they made a game called heroes of the grid i want it even if i don't like it oh look i got these miniatures but in the end i got hooked and now i own everything and it's like i need more (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then then there's like a trend of or i I don't even know if it's a trend really, but I know that like Exploding Kittens came out and that was real popular and big. That's not even using a big IP or anything. It's just like its own thing. But a lot of people love sort of these cute animal games with like deadly premises. So like Kittens in a Blender, Happy Little Dinosaurs, where everyone plays these cute little dinosaurs and then it's the end time. So like everyone's going to die. And like 
there's a lot of games like that that I feel like have also been good gateway games for people to get into the hobby, and like those have been very popular. Yeah, the thing is, they're also not heavily investment games where you could just have a group of friends come together and play for 20, 25 minutes and be done with it. Unlike some of these other board games where you could have 10 minutes of setup and then an hour or two of gameplay, you know, and some, not everybody comes into the game, you know, comes into the uh, hobby wanting to, Hey, I want to play a game for two hours. No, sometimes we're like, Hey, let's just play something quick and have fun with the buddies and everything especially depending on what kind of people are in your group. Yeah, especially because you can play a 30-minute game and it actually takes like an hour because you guys are having so much fun laughing, having a good time. So like sometimes if you go into a game that's supposed to be two hours long, it's like, oh, this is taking three hours or you know some X amount of time longer. Yes, and then that's not counting house rules. That's not counting variation of rules. That's not counting expansions, which can change stuff up. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Ludwin. So when I first went into this topic, you know, you and I were doing our own research on it. The first thing I went to was different themes because I I love themes. I I don't know why. I just that's what first came to mind. So I was thinking like, okay, zombies, you know, zombies uh, at a certain point was real popular. We had The Walking Dead, which was one of the biggest television shows of all time. Of course, you know, the seasons have waned over time and, you know, they've they've lost a lot of attention and, you know, all that stuff. But at a certain point, The Walking Dead was very, very big as an IP. And I, I'm not sure if board games sort of were inspired by that sort of movement to release around that time, but the most popular zombie board games I could find, I was like, okay, well, let me think maybe that was a theme. And so I was expecting it to be like 10 years. But what I saw was from like 2005 to 2015, we had like Dead of Winter, Zombicide, The Last Night on Earth. Um, there's a lot of different um, zombie games that still come out. And then that's still a big span of time. And then I also looked at like superhero games, but we had like we we had a bunch of different superhero board games come out like Sentinel, uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse. I know it was very popular. That came out in 2014. Yeah, they got a re-release recently with like and better graphics and all that stuff. Yeah, and then if you look into the fact that Iron Man the movie came out in 2008, which sort of kicked off the MCU. I mean, from 2008, I mean, that was that was a while ago. So like, I mean, I don't know that these are trends because it just seems like we've been getting superhero board games ever since then. And like, they just continue anyways, and we're going to keep getting more. So it's like, okay, well, then I was thinking like, well, maybe uh, like dark fantasy games, you know, like maybe that's like a trend because I know like Dark Souls is very popular right now. We just had Elden Ring release for a video game, and I know that's real big. But then I look back and there's like Gloomhaven and... Um, you know, that came out a little while ago. And then there's just, there's tons of dark fantasy games that's been coming out for like the last couple of decades. And then I was thinking like, well, maybe Cthulhu is a theme, but, uh, we actually got, uh, in 2020, I saw that there's a game called Evil High Priest, which is a game a lot of people recommend for Cthulhu. There's a Cthulhu Death May Die in 2020. There's Gates of Delirium in 2019, Cthulhu Wars in 2018, Mountains of Madness in 2017. And those are just like really popular games. There's a lot of smaller games that came out based on Cthulhu at the time too, which kind of shocked me because I thought that the Cthulhu craze was kind of dying. I thought it was like a kind of like a um, like 2015, 2016 type thing. But no, it's like they're still trucking. Like they're still releasing tons of Cthulhu games too. Um, 
And then, like, what I call cute and deadly, uh, we had, like, you know, exploding kittens in 2015, and we just keep getting stuff from that. So, I don't know. Do you think that these are, like, trends, like zombies and superheroes and dark fantasy? Or do you think, like, as long as board games are, like, such a big hobby and we're getting so many board games, we're just going to keep getting all of these different genres all the time? I feel like we're going to keep getting all these different genres only because it's going to appeal to somebody. You probably know that person who collects only dark horror games or somebody who collects those bright superhero games, you know, there's, and it's going to appeal to somebody. It's going to appeal to a group, even like, even if it appeals to one person, the game is going to sell somehow, you know, in some way, shape or form. And they'll at least make enough probably to make their money back on it. Yeah, no, I agree. And for whatever reason, like going into this topic, I I was expecting to see like these different themes in like five year chunks, but that is not the case. I, I no com- no yeah. I, <laughs> I've been like even like I was looking at a bit more broad. For example, I've been noticing miniatures in games being more in board games being more and more common. Because I have uh, I have Masmora, which has five. Five, a set of five miniatures. I have Power Rangers Hero to Grade, which has a bunch of miniatures for the monsters and the playable characters. Because I remember, you know, the player pieces in most games. Oh, yeah, you're just this plastic peg or you're just this token or something like that. But I feel like board game pieces have also kind of evolved to kind of become, uh, to help you immerse yourself with the games. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, as like someone who doesn't paint them. miniatures, though, I I really hate getting like the gray miniatures. I'm just like, uh, you look so much better painted, but I I I can't paint you, and I, I, I won't <laughs> I won't be able to. Yeah, but that's what I'm noticing because uh, I think uh, Betrayal on the House of the Hill has miniature characters. Uh, I think we have uh, yeah, Gloomhaven and Winterhaven has miniature characters outside of tokens for the monsters. Uh, I know there are more games that I can't remember off the top of my head, but that's something I've been seeing the rise of, and I feel like it's just trying to get players more immersed in the game compared to, like, Monopoly, where I'm a car and I'm just rolling dice going around the board. <laughs> yeah, and, and that might be the case, but it also could be the case that the algorithm sort of feeding your love of miniature games, and you also inherently have... A desire for miniature games so like you're you're paying more attention to that and the algorithm's feeding more of it to you and there's more board games being released so by that nature there would be more miniature games but at the same time there's probably also a lot of more games coming out that just don't have miniatures too no true there there still is are like i bought i've recently kicked start uh i backed the kickstarter a while back for a game that didn't really have miniatures they use uh plastic peg pieces still and some metal pieces but yeah, it's. The, I think it just depends on what your price point to your game will be. Because I notice games that use miniatures are usually in the sixty or above price range because miniatures are not cheap to produce. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot too, like the hundred plus dollar range as well. Yeah, I've uh, like for example the Power Rangers board game I bought. I think it's sixty or eighty dollars just for the base game, and it comes with about six. Uh, about 12 miniatures yeah you know, which i mean to me small. like i mean don't get me wrong like if it's like a game that you're sure that you're going to like and 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 you think it's cool and stuff and it's a good experience and i think that's perfectly fine 
No, yeah, but that's that's what like what I said before. It's really hard just buying a game and knowing you'll like it. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, and also at the same time, like you're mentioning, you know, miniatures being a trend, uh, possibly. And, you know, after the themes thing, I also afterwards looking at the themes, I was like, okay, well, let me look at the mechanical side of things. Uh, so like resource management, you know, like Settlers of Catan, but that's still very popular. Like tons of games like that with resource management are still being released right. all the time. Then I was thinking like, well, there's uh, deck building games, which, you know, maybe they had a certain time where they were more popular, but I still see those being released all the time. I just saw one on Kickstarter yeah. yesterday. Um, yeah. yeah. And then there's like party games and then they had like, there's sort of this uh, Cards Against Humanity phase, but even so, I call it a phase, but there's still games like that being released. So it's no, just like, <laughs> yeah, it's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Like, for example, speaking of uh, deck building games, Renegade Games just released a it just released a Power Rangers uh, uh, deck builder game, and and then other companies are still releasing deck builder games. There's a Street Fighter deck building game. Yeah, it's weird because, like, with me having my own company where I release games, I like especially before diving into this topic here, I was thinking like, okay, well, the ship has sailed on Cthulhu, or the ship has sailed on deck building games. You know, what's the next new hot thing? You know, like, what's the next thing I need to try to jump on and, like, not miss? But, I don't know, kind of talking about this and researching it, I'm just kind of thinking, like, maybe there's not really a big thing to miss. I mean, I'm sure there will be something that will probably come up in the future, you know, where that might be a hot thing at, at a certain point. But I feel like, in general, like, if, if I were to just release an awesome Cthulhu game or an awesome deck-building game, people aren't going to look at it by and large, is like, oh, it's a deck building game. I've, you know, I, I don't care about it as long as the game itself looks fun and exciting. I think I agree with you because that's how that's how I've been when buying board games. If it's fun, all right, put it in my shopping list. All right, that's you know, that's buy it. Because I don't look, I haven't like even though a game is a deck builder game, I don't look at it as oh, it's the same as uh as DC deck builder. Oh, I, I'm not gonna get this. It's more of all right, how does this play? Yeah, because most companies and publishers know to make their games different and to make them exciting, and they'll normally have at least like one hook that will be like, hey, this is our main thing that's different. So if it's a deck-building game, it might be themed around crafting spells, and so the different cards you get are different components, and based on the different combination you get, the different spells you can cast or something like that, You know, which would make it way different than DC deck-building game. Yeah. Or any other deck building game because there's so many of them. But uh, I know one thing that's been uh, one thing that's been like popping up for me is games that have like a Dungeons and Dragons feel to them, where you're in exploring and uh, investigating areas and killing monsters as you as you go along. Because uh, uh, right now. What popped up for me is Betrayal of Bordor's Gate, which is actually a D&D product anyway, but there are other games taking the elements from D&D. Yeah, funny enough about that, I remember when I first joined a bunch of board gaming groups, board game designers guilds, things of that nature. At that time, I would see people like constantly saying, like, we need to stop having so many of these fantasy, you know, adventuring dungeon-type games, these dungeon-crawler board games... All this stuff is like constantly, that's all we're seeing. And a lot of people in there were very cynical about it and saying that 
they were going to fall out of favor because there's so many of them. And I kind of understand like where they're coming from because in a lot of ways, like it seems like some of these come out and they don't really have much to me that differentiates them. Like they just kind of seem like it was a guy's passion project to sort of make his own dungeon crawler, but there wasn't much to kind of make it unique. Um, but it's still, I mean, it's probably bigger now than more than ever. I mean, we're getting a new Lord of the Rings uh, series, and you know, of course, Lord of the Rings is popular. D and D popular, so we're getting a lot of like fantasy will always be popular, and you know, it's one of my favorite genres anyway. So you know, I get I get it on that front, but I definitely see it all the time. What I what I personally uh, wish to see more of is I see a lot of dark fantasy stuff, and you know, while I, I'm fine with that, I would love to see a lot more kind of like. 2d like very stylized kind of like cartoon fantasy um like with a very oh. cool like like very i, I just want to see uh, I, I feel like i'm missing seeing things that are very stylized like i see a lot of like real like realistic gritty dark fantasy or like gritty realistic sci-fi but not like like fun like stylized like games yeah, the thing is, uh, you speaking about that, the game that came to mind is Stuff Fables, which is uh, it's a fantasy game which uh, which uses like cute little fl- uh, stuffed animal type things, like things you would see in the fa- old fables, like uh, little three little pigs and uh, stuff like that. And the whole game is based about that, but it's an adventure book game where you're going through an adventure in a book and each page is a different adventure oh yeah no that game looks awesome i've kept my eyes on that game for a while it's kind of expensive like for me to want to purchase it without having played it before so i've kind of like held off on it because i think it retails for around 65 or so at like my local store i think maybe online you can get it maybe for like 50 55 but, on Amazon, I'm seeing it for 59, and then on other sites, they have it for 65. So may that could be around the average. Okay, then yeah. So 65 or 60, like I'm not against paying that for a great board game experience. It's just like, man, that is like very tough for me to want to do if I haven't played the game before. No, I understand because another thing that I'm seeing pop up more of is games needing a extra component mostly your cell phone to play I, yeah I, that makes sense a, yeah there was there was a game i showed you the uh, a few weeks back that's like 120 dollars. it comes with a ton of miniatures and all this stuff and um but in order to play you need to download an app and then the app tells it, it's basically a storybook telling you how you know, you have to tell where you move your character and what options happen and all that stuff. And it's interesting, but I feel, I feel, and I feel like more games are going to be taking that direction where you'll be able to interact with it with your phone. But I'm not really looking forward to that. Yeah, I can see that. And I think you and I would both agree that we probably both like the idea of having like a companion app that can sort of aid your experience or you know, make things maybe a little bit easier to like look up the rules or different gameplay, stuff like that, but have it where it's not required to play. No, yeah, where if it's like an assistant kind of thing, all right, yeah, that's fine. But if it's like the whole game and what happens if your phone dies at the table because you forgot your charger or something, uh, that would ruin the experience. Yeah, or like you have someone uh, young uh, with you and they're like, hey, I need my, or maybe they just have, some, maybe their car's broken down. They need someone to pick them up or something. 
and uh, they're like, oh, my, my, I need to know when my ride's coming, but I can't get them to come help, you know, or pick me up. And also, with a lot of notifications we get on our phones nowadays, can you imagine how that would ruin the experience? Uh, and people get distracted. Like, there's already a problem with people being on their phones anyway. So, like, for them to be on their phones playing the game, and they just get messages like, hey, buddy, what's up? And they're, they're trying to message them and stuff. That'd be awful. <laughs> yeah. Like... I feel like if you're going to make a board game, either make it fully digital or fully physical because trying to blend the two, I think there's still issues of that currently, especially with some of these apps not being well optimized either. So you might even have the problems of, oh, the app crashed. I got to restart and start everything over. Or like it's not available for like Apple or something. So everyone else has Android. It's like, ah, you can't play with us, you Apple loser. (laughs) uh no you're not wrong like i'm trying to find the name of that game but i can't right now but if i find it i'll let you know i'll let you know but yeah it's i think that's gonna but i do think that's gonna be a trend that's gonna be happening more often because a lot of develop a lot of board game developers are gonna be like hey you know what everybody has a phone and you know what we can make an app to go with our phone and make a uh or our game to uh, make it stand out from the rest. You know what this makes me think of is maybe we'll see a trend of games using NFTs. No, please. Okay, I found the I found the game I was talking about, Descent: Legends of the Dark, which at retail is one hundred and seventy five dollars. Whew, it's a big game. Yes, uh, I'll send you a link to it right now so you can see all the miniatures and stuff, but. You ha- the thing is, it's a game you build the stage and all that, and you place down the hazards based on what the app tells you. There, you know, you the game. It says there are fourteen quests, and it takes fifty to sixty-five hours the gameplay. But how long is a single session? Is my also other concern because, like we said before, not everybody wants to play. For hey guys, we've been playing for six hours straight. I want to go get food. Yeah, I completely understand that. So, like I said, I I think we might see some NFT stuff. Not saying I advocate for that by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying like there's a lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot of people that want to jump on the next big thing. I mean, I even mentioned myself like like at least considering the idea of like okay, what's the new trend? Like you know, deck building games, Cthulhu, that's out the door. You know, what's the next big thing? I think like as a game creator, that's kind of like a thing that will naturally kind of flow through your head. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll listen to that. And I think ultimately a lot of game designers will design a game that they personally feel passionate about first and foremost. But, you know, if you had the option between two different games that you're into that you're creating and one kind of seemed more topical, you know, it makes sense that you'd sort of lean that way. No, yeah, you're not wrong. I'm pretty sure we could probably look back through the ages and possibly find board games that were trying to take advantage of the technology at the time. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a board game that probably wants you to use 3D glasses. Oh, I have a prediction for the future. I'm going to say um, basically like five years from now, we're going to see a massive boon in like anime-based board games. Now, I know that we definitely already have some board games that use anime IP, but I'm talking about like we'll see like a massive surge in like original anime styled like board games like with that kind of artwork and stuff and like done so in a way to where it's like 
it's almost like a, like a Demon Slayer type board game with like miniatures, but it's not Demon Slayer. It's like its own IP. You know, it's, okay. yeah, I, I think see, I get what you mean. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot more of that because the reason like currently at this moment, a lot of game designers uh, tend to be like a decade older than I am. So they would be like around 40 ish. Um, I don't actually know what the middle the, the the age is for a lot of game designers. Like, OK, I'll put it this way. I've been to different game designing conventions and different board game conventions and a lot of people there seem to be kind of in their mid 40s to late 40s and but we have younger people getting into this hobby than and more younger people than ever before so i don't think that we have to wait until people in, in their late 20s are in their 40 you know 45 to 50s before they're developing these kind of games but you know i think they need to get aged up a little bit more so give it you know five ish years and uh, i think that's something that we'll see a lot more because currently the main people in the industry and the hobby, you know, are people that are really fond of like the old Transformers cartoons and like G.I. Joe and like they have a certain mindset and a certain thing that they're into. But with anime, like a lot of people growing up, like a lot of millennials growing up with anime, um, I think as the as millennials and then uh, what's under millennials like Gen Z. Yeah, Gen Z. Yeah. So Gen Z, like whenever they get a bit older, like I think like they like they are so like they grew up when when like watching anime was cool whereas like we grew up like being bullied for liking anime so i think like they're going to be like super like the gen z people that are into board games uh they're going to be like way more anime prone that's my personal hypothesis i also looking at the the statistic side of things the number side of things however you say that word uh apparently the biggest area for board games uh, or the biggest area of growth is apparently from Europe. Uh, and they say that France, Germany, and UK are the key markets for board games in Europe. Hmm. I really Which, wonder why that is. I mean, part of it might be the fact that Euro games are really popular. And for those listening that don't know what a Euro game is, it's essentially a game where the mechanics are placed above the theme and normally they use meeples which are like little wooden people uh they normally have like a resource element component uh to it and um i don't know they, they tend to be things about like farming or building a monument or building stained glass windows you know yeah like it's not like oh you're a cool warrior descending into the depth darkest dungeons you know fighting off hordes of goblins or something it's like but, a lot different but the thing is with europe games the, uh something that's really big with european game style games is uh strategy they're very big on strategy and uh you know like war style games like think of almost like chess but in more complicated board game style because <laughs> it says here demand for premium strategy based board games have remained strong in europe over the last few years yeah that's interesting so we'll see where that goes i mean a lot of people like euro games and that will still be like a a popular trend and by trend i just mean a thing that always exists that, <laughs> that will just keep happening but yeah it's uh i don't know it's been a very interesting discussion. I, I only have one more point to make, which is when I first joined those board gaming guilds, I remember seeing a lot of disdain for people that would uh, incorporate multiple game variants into their games. Like, it was very heavily talked down. Like, 
like, oh, if you have multiple game variants, that's because you couldn't choose a solid one, so therefore your game is bad. Like, they would literally, like, judge your game and say, like, if you had multiple variants, like, your game would be worse for it, sort of thing. But now I'm seeing a lot more people. Like, first of all, I'm not seeing anyone saying multiple game variants is bad anymore. And instead I'm seeing people saying, like, hey, like, like, I want games to have multiple variants. I love the idea of having a solo mode, a co-op mode, you know, a multiplayer mode, whatever it may be, and, like, have these different ways to play the same game. Yeah, because we talked about solar player games, and then we talked about how a lot of games have a solar player mode because that's apparently very popular. Even, a, like, DC Deck Builder has a co-op mode, which is the only way I play it with my friends. And then even the Power Rangers game that I keep talking about has multiple different game modes and styles and it's just like hey we can have fun with this game in a different way and keep playing the same game because that's a that's a big issue of uh because i don't know if you know what some of the lowest rated board games are but uh let's just say monopoly's on there life (laughs) bingo candyland shoots and ladders and i think the reason for that is every time you play nothing changes to be honest, it's exactly the same game. I'm definitely not into those games, so I'm right in the same camp with those guys. Yeah, Operation is on here. The oh man, I'm out. so bad at Operation. <laughs> Trouble is on here. War shoots uh, Candyland, Tic Tac Toe. I don't even count Tic Tac Toe as a board game, but it's on here from Board Game Geek. Very interesting. No, but uh, like. And I'm noticing something that a lot of more that's popping up more in board games, I feel, is a random generation of games. Where games have elements to randomly change the board every time you play or something like that. Like, um, well, not Gloomhaven. What is the, um, uh, I, I've lost my mind. I lost my train of thought on the one game I was trying to name, but I can name Masmora which is a dungeon crawling style game, which every time you move through the building, uh, you place a new tile and the tile is random, randomly picked. So now the rooms are never going to be laid out the same as your previous playthrough. Yeah, and I get the idea. I, I think one reason for the cynicism is there is a world in which someone could create a game and give it multiple game mode variants and those other variants are just there as like a selling feature, but they're not actually good. That makes sense. No, I feel you because you can say, hey, we, uh, you can play co-op. And then when you play co-op, it's like there's nothing here. You know, they didn't make this any different or, or it's not completed. Yeah. Re- and yeah. in a weird way, it sort of reminds me how... Like, on board games, you'll find how many players it, it like it says it can play between. So, with Spellslingers, it says 2 to 10. But I've had some people say, well, you know, Spellslingers are a lot more fun with more than two people. So, it should say, you know, 3 to 10. And I'm thinking, like, well, I could, but, like, it, I mean, you could play it two players. I don't know. It feels weird to not put two players because people might get the wrong idea and think you can't play it with two people. I agree with that because I've I've seen board games where it's like, oh, this is four people. We only have three. All right, I'm not. We're not going to touch it. It could have a three player option mode, but just because it doesn't say it, oh yeah, oh, you know, we're not going to touch it. 
Yeah, speaking of different like board game setups though and making sure it was randomized and stuff made me think of a feature that I might have put in every single game that I've released, maybe. Um, it's definitely a feature that I, I think is very important and one that I personally like that I could see being made like more popular and a lot more people doing, but I call it mixing and matching. So it's the idea of like in Heads or Tails, uh, we could have just had it where you had different monsters that you could be and you role play as those monsters and try to act it out in like funny ways uh, for like your improv comedy. But I wanted to have a lot more variance. So I call it mixing and matching. So there's a whole nother deck of cards that are different personality traits. And so instead of just having the base game where you are Frankenstein, vampire, witch, etc., you can get those things in combination with the personality that would say that you're depressed or you have an Elvis impersonating persona or you laugh after everything everyone says or you know you're acting drunk or whatever it may be and it makes it so there's so much different variants going on there's like over a thousand combination of cards just by adding that extra deck uh yeah i know what you mean i've seen some other games do it where they add an extra deck and it's like oh pull a random card from this and maybe it's a secret card where hey this is a secret victory condition hide it and if you meet these goals you win you know yeah i just it's such a simple thing to do and i i know for a fact there there has to be other games out there that do that sort of thing um but maybe it will be like a trend at a point where like I'll start noticing it more often and I'll see people sort of like like couch it as like a feature of the game saying like hey like we have this mix and match element so you know you're not going to have the same two games played you know that kind of thing maybe maybe they already are and we're just not aware of it because there's so many board games especially with how many board games get released a year yeah that's what and i'm saying then, like there, i'm sure there definitely are like i i'm not i'm not claiming that i'm the first to do that one uh, <laughs> like th- i'm sure i am without a doubt sure that there are other games that have like a mix and match element like that i i'm just saying like i out of all the games i've played i can't think of one that has it so i'm sure that it's out there i'm just saying like i feel like maybe i'll start seeing it more in the future <laughs> Uh, no, I know, I know what you mean, but then there's also, um, what I'm also seeing is the rise of so many Kickstarter only games. Like, uh, there's a game, there's, I don't know how many people have heard of Hexplore It, which is a game apparently you can only get off Kickstarter and I have never seen sold anywhere else outside of eBay. And, uh, it's a Kickstarter game where you play as a a venturing group with up to like five, five or six other people. And uh, you basically roll a dice and it determines if you get lost and stuff like that. Like you, you roll as a group. So, all right, if your whole group fails, you know, or somebody in your group fails, it could affect the whole group and stuff like that. You, f- you fight monsters, you level up, you learn spells. I mean, it's really, that sounds like fun. It is fun. I love it. But the big issue is that if you obtain it outside of Kickstarter, uh, it's missing a lot of elements because a lot of elements are Kickstarter backer only. And I feel like that's a big detriment to a lot of games where they're making like really uh, major stuff Kickstarter only. Like a lot, it's like promos basically where without these promos, they actually worsen the experience sometimes. Yeah, so I uh, I have some experience with this because I've done lots of Kickstarters. I've released you know, a good bit of games and I've done a few like Kickstarter only type items. And luckily I, I'm I'm very thankful that I had the idea f- 
for uh, one of the ways that I did a Kickstarter exclusive was I worded it in a way to where it's like, okay, this is exclusive to Kickstarter, but I can put it on any Kickstarter we do. It's not limited to just this one Kickstarter. So any Kickstarter we do, you, you can support. And if we have that as an option, as like an add-on or something, you can get it then. So I'm very happy I did that because uh, having some like sort of like hindsight on this whole thing, I agree with you. Like I think, I think overall, like I just don't like it in general. And I think maybe we'll see a, a like maybe in the industry we'll start seeing more people sort of sour on the idea. Um, I think one way to sort of combat it that I might do in the future is I might do ex uh, Kickstarter exclusives, but it wouldn't be like a unique card that you can only get. It would be like a unique like design for that card. So you'd still get the same card and you would still have the same gameplay, but it might have different artwork or the design and layout might be a little bit different. So people that back the Kickstarter can say like, hey, look, this is my special version of that card, as opposed to saying like, hey, I got this extra card that changes the gameplay for me, but my friends who bought it in the store can't play the same way I'm playing. Yeah, because uh, I have, um, so two games I'm going to name. I have a game called Muffin Time, which if you backed at a higher level on the Kickstarter, instead of getting standard cards, you got some of the cards were replaced with holographic cards, which is a nice little add-on. And then for people who didn't get that perk, they just got the standard cards, no problem, which doesn't affect the gameplay experience. But then another game, which I keep bringing up, is Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid. They had a Kickstarter, they had a Kickstarter box, which had exclusive characters and villains that were only available to this set. For example, the Green Ranger from Mighty Morphin was only available from this set for a very long time and players were upset. Hey, I want the Green Ranger, but the Kickstarter I but there's I can't get the Kickstarter backer box because there is no Kickstarter to back. Uh they did fix they did change it now that you could buy it individually now in its own set and they do restock the kick, Kickstarter box, but it's still very upsetting not being able to play as that character or be or knowing that you're missing something. Yeah, what's tough, though, is a lot of companies can do that kind of stuff, make lots of money from it, and they still, like, people will still buy into it even if they're not the happiest with it. Yeah, because everybody has that issue of fear of missing out. Oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to miss out. Yeah, so they're not really incentivized to stop doing it, which is kind of a, a weird problem. And that's not me that's not me putting blame on, like, the backers or the people uh, at all. It's just kind of like a weird situation because I feel like a lot of companies try to like write a line where they're like, okay, how can we maximize our profits? And even if it's at the cost of kind of pissing off our community, as long as they don't leave us and they still buy this, even if they're complaining, that's worth it to us. I feel like that's kind of the mindset a lot of these companies have. No, I, yeah, I agree with you. That's, it's just, they want to make that buck. And then sometimes telling people, Hey, we have a Kickstarter exclusive. People don't want to miss out on that. I really hope that changes in the future, but I don't, I don't see that changing. There's no incentive to. Yeah. We'll have to see on that one. That one's uh, definitely interesting. I know that early bird backers is like a thing that is kind of in a similar boat where on Kickstarter, if you pledge to get the game like earlier than other people, if you're one of the first people to back, then you get like a discount, which uh, that sort of gained uh, out of favor. I don't see it as much as it used to be. Um, and there's various reasons behind that, but luckily I feel like that's kind of not as popular as it used to be. 
I don't. Maybe I. I don't. I never really paid attention to the early bird backers. I. I knew that it some. Uh, for example, I had kick. Uh, kickstarted a. Uh, a painting stand or something like that for miniatures, and they had that where the price of. I think the price of the stand was like ten dollars cheaper for people who got that option, but it's only limited to a very small number of people to begin with. But outside of that, I don't. I don't see much pur- purpose of it. Yeah, the idea is to just hurry up and get, like, because the faster you get funding on Kickstarter, the more likely you'll be on the front page and that they'll even promote your your business or your Kickstarter project. So it's like, okay, we need to hit funding as fast as possible. So we're just going to have people have this discounted price so they're immediately going to jump in and not hesitate on it so we can get, like, better algorithm results and be on the front page. Okay, so... um Here's another topic or another thing to talk about since we're on the topic of Kickstarters. Do you think Kickstarter in the next four to five years, do you think it will still be as big as it is now? Or do you think it will be something that people don't remember? I think people will definitely remember it. I think it's going to be bigger, but I also think that it will have a competitor. Like I think that crowdfunding and having projects and board games i think all that is going to keep getting bigger i know in 2021 you said that there was a decrease but you know again pandemic i think we're going to see an increase in the industry though from that and i think it's going to get even bigger than it was prior to that and i think because of that we'll see kickstarter getting bigger but i also think that something like GameFound uh will be sizable i still think more people will probably be familiar with kickstarter and there will still probably be a lot of people that don't know what GameFound is. But I do think that if you were to like look at GameFound's numbers, even if a lot of people don't know about it, you might see they're still making a lot of money through their whole website. And you're like, okay, well, even though I didn't know as much about it, they're still doing well over, over here. Yeah. And speaking about the growth of the market, uh, uh, there's a art, the same article I've been reading to you from before. It says that... Uh, the growth they're expecting between 20 uh 2020 and 2025 is 2.5 uh uh 56 billion dollars yeah that's pretty big yeah of course we don't know that was their prediction before covid so we don't know how covid will affect that because we're having issues with shipping uh shortages and it's not affecting just one thing it's affecting almost every market so I'm pretty sure I can, I'm going to predict that for 2022, we're, we're probably going to have the same amount of board games released as we did last year, if not slightly more, but not more than 2020. And then we'll slowly see that skyrocket as everything, uh, you know, recovers. Like once shortages gets fixed, we'll see that number start skyrocketing and probably surpassing 2020. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So that sounds like that's our predictions slash our realizations when it comes to the past, present, and future of tabletop gaming. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us about this topic. If you have any questions, be sure to hit us up. Uh, we definitely love getting some feedback from the community, so just let us know what you're thinking and what topics you'd like to see us discuss in the future. Yep, and just keep having fun, enjoy your games, and hey, let us know if you find any interesting ones you want us to talk about or even play. All right, take care, you guys. Stay awesome and have a good day. All right, have fun.